You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, will you turn to the, to the Psalms, chapter 67. Our kids will be with us today. We're going to have a little Ohana church today. Can I get a witness this morning, right? Turn your Bible, turn your word to the book of Psalms, chapter 67. And as you turn there, I want to remind you, for especially those who have been with us for some while and sometimes, I'm going to say this loud and proud, right? God has been faithful to Ohana Church. Let me say that again. God has been faithful to his family. We have two more weeks in this facility, and we thank God for being faithful in this facility. Let me tell you something that may shock you or surprise you. He's going to continue to be faithful. He's going to remind us of his goodness. He's going to remind us about his greatness. And I want to encourage you. God is, say that word, faithful. In 2012, I was a music and youth pastor in the great state of Tennessee where my wife is from. In the town called Carthage, Tennessee. Named after Carthage, Egypt. Where they canonized the scriptures together. I was the 1% Kanaka. Before Mariota, can I get a witness out there, right? I was there serving the Lord, and I was there being mentored and being, uh, growing in the faith. And in 2012, the Lord Jesus impressed on mine and my wife's heart to come back home to the islands of Hawaii to plant a church. And you got to understand that it took me another year before we would come back home. Literally, it took us 12 years, me 12 years, before I came back home to my moku. To my Moku Okeave, as we know as the big island of Hawaii. Ma'aina. Been gone for a long time. And God did a work in me in the mainland where I met Jesus for the very first time. Where I met my beautiful wife for the very first time. Where I met people that uh, did not look like me or talk like me. Can I get a witness out there, right? But, but they, they loved Jesus and they poured truth into me. And we wanted that same experience in the Hawaii Islands. And so God gave us a heart to plant not just one church, but to plant churches that plant other churches that really have three criterias, if that's a good word to say today, of planting this church. The first criteria is this, that we would plant a gospel-centered church. Can I get a witness there, right? A, a church that preaches on a Christology view of the gospel. That it is about Jesus. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. He has done the work of salvation for us to have access to his Father. That is a gospel-centered church. It's not focused on man's prosperity. Can I get a witness out there? It's not focused on man's feel-goods and bad feelings, whatever the case is. It's about Christ. Lifted up, exalted, honored, gospel-centered Christ-centered. It's not about Ohana Church. It's not about any other church. It's about Jesus Christ. Secondly, the second criteria is that we would be, we'd plant a church and churches that were gospel-focused, specifically in the area of error. We would call out the bad theology and doctrine that is in our city today. 
the preachers that will preach on the prosperity gospel that we renounce, that it's about our health and our wealth and new signs and visions. But God has given us a sign. There's 66 books. Pick one of them. Start there. But I grew up in a church where people talked about signs and wonders and never talked about Jesus. And they would say the name of Jesus and make them fit their sermons, but it wasn't the Jesus of the Bible. It was a Jesus created in their own mind. That's why they continued to fall and sin and wasn't devoted to the gospel because the Jesus they thought about or they do thought about today is a Jesus wrapped up and created in their own mind and not from Scripture. God, would you plant churches that are gospel-focused? Lastly, that we would plant churches that was gospel-urgent. Right? Gospel urgent. What? Ohana Church is not the end goal, guys. There's many towns and communities and islands of the Pacific that needs gospel-centered churches, gospel-focused churches, gospel-urgent churches. How are we going to do that? How are we going to fulfill the Great Commission if all we do is stay in Hilo? That's selfish. That is not a gospel of love. That is a gospel created in your own mind. God has given us this beautiful platform of the gospel to be Christ-centered, Christ-focused, Christ-urgent. Why? Because today, with 7 billion people in the world today, less than 2 billion identify themselves as Christ-followers. That's a problem. That should concern you because it concerns the heart of God. We serve a God that's not just sitting on his throne. We serve a missionary God. He's on mission. He's planting churches. He's looking to and through to those whose hearts belong to him, the Chronicles. And that will happen as we plant gospel-centered churches, gospel-focused churches, gospel-urgent churches. And then six years later, specifically five years of the church plant, but six years later for me and my wife, we see what we see today. I believe a church that strives for gospel-centeredness. Can I get a witness, church, right? A church that strives to be gospel-focused. Amen? A church that strives to be gospel-urgent as we plant churches around the islands and specifically in Japan and in the mainland. They have those three criteria, and God has been ever so faithful. Ever so faithful. Look at this. Here's the mission. This is our heart. Right? It's right behind me. But we exist to help me out to love people to the beauty of Christ. This comes from specifically Romans 10, where it says, Blessed are the beautiful feet that brings the what? Good news. That they would see Jesus in his beauty. That may be through circumstances that are different from each other, but nevertheless, they would see Jesus in his beauty. Now, now we could go down the list has happened that God has blessed us uniquely with. We can, we can go through that list, all right? All right, we can yell it out loud and proud what God has done in our faith family. If we continue to look at what God has done in the past, how will we move forward to trusting God in the future? God will not always do the same thing he did in the past for the future. I can promise you that because in two weeks, we're not going to be here anymore. He's not defined by a location. He's defined by his sovereign position. He is sovereign God. 
And, and if you're new to the church, we're normally going verse by verse to the book of, of Mark. That's called an expositional style of preaching. And today is not going to be true expositional. We're going to move away from that today. And we're going to go to a topical message through Psalms 67. And I want you to see this beauty of Jesus in this area of faithfulness. In the area of faithfulness. And then we'll talk about a specific doctrine moving forward from this faithfulness context. Would you stand with me in the reading of God's word in Psalms 67? If you don't have a word, you can share with someone next to you. I would encourage you to bring a form of the word. Today we have no TVs because we wanted to make sure you brought your word today. Hallelujah. Even if you did not know, now you know. All right. Don't worry about the chaos. Chapter 67 of Psalms. Starting in verse 1 says this, may God be what? Gracious. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Say la. That your way may be known on earth. Your saving power among all nations. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for what? Say louder. Like you mean it. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Say la. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. And he says it again. God shall bless us. Read these words out with me. One, two, three. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. God, help us to fear you today. Not a man-made fear, but a fear that comes directly from you, sovereign God. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to have Keiki running around the room. Welcome to family church this morning. All right, some of them are going to act smart, uh, like bad or good, some of them, so no worry about them. This is a perfect opportunity to disciple our keiki while the pastor is preaching, amen? This is like the old Puritan days, Hawaiians, all right? This is that, so don't worry about all the chaos. Let me remind you in the word, uh, in the Hebrew language, tohu aboha, when God created the heavens and the earth, there was a void before that. That void is the Hebrew word tohu waboha. It means, if you know it, say it with me, chaos. What does that mean? God has made beauty out of chaos. So don't worry about the cake. Amen. I want to talk about a specific doctrine. It's the doctrine of mercy. The doctrine of mercy. And the next one, we'll talk about the doctrine of grace. The doctrine of mercy is very clear in this passage. In fact, there's really two truths that we see in these verses. Number one, we see a plea for God's mercy. Can I get a witness over here, right? We see a plea. We see the psalmist crying out to God for his mercy. Look at the verse. In verse 67, verse 1 says, may God be gracious to us. The word gracious is the word merciful. The true word, the true word is merciful. Gracious is another word of displaying God's mercy. But the definition for mercy in a theological and biblical understanding is mercy is God holding back what we do deserve. Yeah. Let me say that again because we had a few yeah up in here, Hawaiians. All right. 
Mercy means God, sovereign God, holding back what everyone in this room deserves. Listen to me. You don't deserve God today. You deserve God's wrath today. And some of you are experiencing some of those righteous acts with your children right now. I'm about to whoop this kid. <laughs> Hawaiian, right? Now, if you're not that from that kind of family, you probably never grew up in one Kanaka family like me. Because when I grew up, you got the pa'i stick. Can I get a witness out there? And when I say pa'i stick, it wasn't one of those nice switches, all these hollies in the mainland get off the tree. It was on strict bamboo stick, Hawaiian. And one bamboo stick, this is the difference with bamboo stick. You ready? When the bugger break, crack, the bugger ricochet with you some more slaps. And some of you over here are like, I'm about to pour havoc on this kid. I got some mamas looking at their baby like, wait till we get home, Hawaiian. <laughs> Kahu and talk about wrath today. I'm going to give it to you, son. And you better give your sister the eye too because I'm about coming for her too. Here's the reality. God is a merciful God. He withholds from us what we deserve. We deserve to be punished for all eternity. All the cute, gaga, Google children in this room deserve the same penalty as us adults. Separation. Separation from God. We all deserve it. Why? The Bible is clear. We're sinful. Every one of, not a popular topic to talk about in churches today. But if we're going to preach the gospel, let's preach the whole gospel. Listen to me. Here's a biblical truth for us to learn. Despite our sin, God is a merciful God. The psalmist is crying out to his heavenly father. And it is David. He is saying... Oh, God, be gracious with us. Oh, God, be merciful to us. How many times have you said that prayer this week? Because a rightly view of following God is understand his mercy on you. Ready? You ready? The psalmist also says, your mercies or lamentations are new what? Every morning. Seems like we need to ask for God's mercies every day. When we wake up. All right, look at Psalms 86.5. It says it. I'll just preach it over you. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. This psalmist is experienced God's goodness, God's forgiving, right? Because he's crying out. He's calling out to you, just like Psalm 86 says, for God's mercy. Look at me. To think that we all deserve God's wrath because of our sin. Look at this, right? We, we all rejected God in our sin. Can we be transparent, right? Can we be transparent? How many of you have rejected God? Everyone should raise their hand because you just lied. We rejected God in our sin. We spit in his face because of our sin. We chose false deities, gods and goddesses over him. We, we've chosen idols of sorts because of sin. And look at this psalmist. Oh, he is merciful. He is merciful. This word changes the way I parent. Can I get a witness, right? This, this word, this doctrine should change the way I treat my spouse. 
This doctrine should change the way I respond in all circumstances because at the beginning and end of the day, every human person has one thing in common. We deserve God's wrath. We deserve his judgment. And God, in his sovereign grace, gives us mercy. This morning, listen to me. Because of mercy, true mercy, biblical, theological mercy, results into true ministry. It's easy to go down and feed the homeless apart from understanding mercy. It's more than just feeding people. It's more than just clothing people. Do they understand God's mercy? We all deserve his wrath, and God in his sovereignty gives us true mercy with true ministry. We call it mercy ministries. A ministry that allows us to live out what mercy looks like. But secondly, and this is my final point. I know you guys are shocked. We see the product of God's mercy. We see the plea of God's mercy, and now we see the product of God's mercy. Let me continue to read on the verse. It says, may God be merciful to us and bless us and make his face to shine down upon us. Then the psalmist uses this word, the S word. Say it loud and proud with me. Selah. The word selah in the Hebrew language, its expression is to pause. And not for the sake of pausing, but to pause and reflect on what the text just said. So what does the text just say? God, be gracious to me. God, bless me. God, shine your face down upon me. Selah. And sometimes some theologians and scholars would say that this Selah could last for minutes. Those who were of the Levite tribe could also would say that they would stay for hours in a room together saying nothing. And Selah is usually led by the elder or the elakai of the group. The leader. It's not, not led by nobody else because it's a Christology view of Christ. Christ in his moment at Gethsemane, on his knees, he demonstrated Selah. Not just what he prayed to the Father, even before and now. There was a moment of pause for the Savior of the world to experience God's goodness in his Father, being God in the flesh. So here, here's what verse 2 says. He says that your way may be known on the earth and your saving power among the nations. I want you to write these four things down on your phone, wherever, on the paper. I want you to see four things that results out of mercy. Number one, we see help. In verse chapter one, the psalmist says, God bless us. The word bless is in direct connection to God being a benevolent God. That God helps his people. If there's anybody that understood this help, it would be Moses. Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 13, He will love you. He will bless you. And he will multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb. Thank you, Jesus, mommy and daddies that are talking to your children right now with the wrath of God. Right? And the fruit of your ground, your grain and your wine and your oil. The increase of your herds and the young of your flock in the land that he swore to your fathers to give to you. God is a benevolent God. He helps his people. Why? Because that's how he displays his mercy to you and me. 
A gift we do not deserve, God gives it freely. He blesses us, the psalmist says. He calls out for blessing. Secondly, we see that he gives happiness. Look at what the verse says. He says, Lord, would you cause your face to shine down upon us? The word happy, specifically in the New Testament, is the word makarios. It's the word where we get joy from. It's not a joy dependent on circumstance. It is a joy that is dependent on your position and who you believe in. Mercy results into this happiness. If you truly experience God's mercy, he will help you. He will, he will be happy over you. Why? And I want you to see a Christology view of this text. He's not happy over you because of what you bring to the table, Hawaiian. Because the only thing you bring to the table is sin. He's not happy with you in that reason. He's happy to you in this side of the cross in the promise of his son. He sees Christ in you and through you through his penal substitutionary atonement of his blood. God is not looking for people who would obey him because in and of itself, apart from Jesus, you're not going to obey him. We're not smart enough. In fact, let me get even more clearer than that. If we don't know his mercy, we don't know him. We don't know him. But, but look at this. This results into help. This results into happiness. And thirdly, mercy results into holiness. Look at the verse. It goes on to say in verse chapter 2, that your way may be known among the earth. Listen to me clearly. God's way is holiness. I grew up in a church where holiness was defined by an external appearance. Ladies' hairs had to be a certain way. Ladies couldn't wear jeans or shorts. Ladies had to wear long dresses. Men have to be very clothed as well. I grew up in a church where everything was about the external. But holiness is much bigger than the external. Holiness is a heart issue. And what mercy does, mercy gives us what we can't give ourselves. A holy relationship with a holy God. Look, when, God said, when, when Jesus said in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, go make disciples in all nations, he didn't say to go make preachers. That's not what he meant. I promise you that. Go make missionaries. Go make teachers. Go make servants. He didn't say that. He said go make disciples. Disciples is the reflection of Christ himself. What does that mean? Go make holy people. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, it didn't say that God was preacher, preacher, preacher. It didn't say that God was teacher, teacher, teacher. It didn't say that God was servant, servant, servant. It said God was holy, 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 to be set apart. Listen to me. I can see Isaiah chapter 6 where he's around, around in, in the year of Uzziah. King Uzziah, he saw a vision of the Lord. He said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. He was clothed in glory. And he said, the train of his robe filled the temple. That gun that's on long robe. It filled the temple. It's a sign of honor. It's a sign of respect. It's a sign of reverence. And then it said, the mighty seraphim, the angels in heaven, had six wings. Two covered their face. The bottom two covered their legs. 
The middle two flew around the throne of God. And this is what they said. You ready? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with the glory of God. This is Uzziah. This is the year of Uzziah. Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus comes as flesh. 700 years. And the boy, check this out. The prophecy never stopped there. He then goes on to say in chapter 6, Woe is me. But our culture is different. Oh, Hawaiian, you remember me back in the day when I used to smash guys on the football field? That's the way we talk about ourselves. Oh, you remember when I had abs of steel? I don't remember, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, that's the way we talk about ourselves. Like, there's glory. There's honor in us. But then Isaiah got the nerve to make us feel low. Woe is me. He says, for I am unclean, but my eyes have seen the glorious king. And he cleansed my lips right before my eyes. And the angels, the mighty seraphim, stood around him. And they cried these words, say with me, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with his glory. God is not looking for better preachers. God is not looking for better teachers. God is looking for his son, Jesus, in you. Holiness. Holiness. Are you holy? As the Lord your God is holy. Because if you understand mercy, you will know that holiness is the result of God's mercy. Amen? Amen. To hear the prophet say, but my eyes have seen. Do we wonder that? My eyes have seen the glorious king. Better than social media. Praise God. Lastly, last result we see. Mercy results into health. Now, this is where it's going to get a little tough right here. Because automatically, when I say health, you're probably assuming, yes, free my diabetes. Eat less sugar. Right? Like, 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 like can God physically heal this side of the cross? Praise God. But I want you to look at the verse. The verse is talking about saving health. Saving health is directed to spiritual health. Saving health speaks of something far better than physical health. It speaks of spiritual health. In the New Testament terms, it speaks of the gospel blessing us with salvation. Titus 3.5 says, he saved us. Tell your neighbor that. Hey, he saved us. Tell him. He saved us. But listen to me. Not because of works done in us in righteousness will always be. Right? But according to his own, what? Mercy. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. God, Lord Jesus, thank you. If that's, there's anything that prospers in my life, may it prosper in me first. May you rescue me. May you regenerate me. May you show me your mercy through the washing of regeneration. So here, here's our response. It'll be power. I promise. I'm not going to be that preacher that preached 20 more minutes, okay? I promise. Two response of the gospel. Here's how we should respond to the gospel. Number one, we must praise him. Let me say that again because none of you said amen. All right, number one, we must praise him. 
Even when your kids are acting up and being rotten right now, in the school, in the, we must praise him. Look at the verses in these verses, verses six and six specifically. It says, the, uh, verse five, excuse me. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. We must praise him. And I want you to hear this very clear. Here's a warning for everyone in this room. It's not an option not to praise him. We must praise him. And I'll tell you why. Look at the next verses below. It goes on to say this in verse 6 specifically. It says, the earth has yielded its increase. God our God shall what? Bless us. The harvest here on earth is determined by your praise for a holy God. Don't let the rocks cry out for you. Don't let them steal your praise, people. Praise God. Oh, you don't know my lifestyle. Praise God. You don't know my marriage. Praise God. You don't know my daughter, that girl acting up. Praise God. You don't know my bank account situation. Praise God. You don't know what's going on in my life. Praise God. Look to the cross. Look to Jesus. He praised God to the point of death. Praise God. Oh, my kids are acting up. Oh, God, help me. Praise God. If I would just have some people in Ohio church that could just praise God. Not be catching feelings because of the tone of the pastor's voice. Truth still is truth. Praise God. Listen to me. We must praise God. But secondly, we must proclaim God. Meaning that it's not just personal. It's public now. Look what the verse says in verse 7. God shall bless us. Let all the earth, what? Fear him. The word fear is not like Halloween, what we make fear to be near. It is a reverent fear. But another word for fear that is articulated in our time, it's no. That the world may know God. Why? Because if our fear is on God, who shall we fear? God fears, fear of God, listen to me, makes us knowledgeable. Fear of God makes us comforted. Read the psalmist. The problem is we put fear on the wrong things. And we said this in the Pentecostal church growing up. That we got to take back what he stole from us. And we don't do it in our own ability. It says that in Titus. We do it from understanding God's mercy today. Do you know God's mercy today?